This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's catch up with Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig to find out what's going on with some notable headlines across the country. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. Michelle, let's start in the legal world where former Senator Don Meredith is facing criminal charges. What are the charges filed against Don Meredith? Wow, yeah. Well, this is a a blast from the past for people. We'll go over that. But over the weekend on Saturday morning, quite early, actually, Ottawa police put out a statement saying that Don Meredith is now facing four criminal charges, three counts of sexual assault, and one count of criminal harassment. No details on any of the allegations that led to those charges, other than the fact that they allegedly related to incidents that took place or were alleged to have taken place between 2013 and 2014. And the, the police release made this kind of unusual point of saying that they were reported by an adult woman. This is relevant because of Don Meredith's past, which I suspect you'd like to uh, explore a little bit there, Dave. Yeah, Michelle, as a reminder here, this isn't the first time Don Meredith has faced some controversy in regards to uh, relationships. So what's some of the background? Yeah, the, so the, the, the adult woman issue is because of exactly how Don Meredith became such a high-profile name for a while. You, you might remember seeing his name a lot back in 2017. Um, allegations began to surface during his time as a senator uh, about sexual misconduct, some of which involved allegedly a teenager. And that this is what, what ultimately led to his disgrace from the Senate. Uh, an investigation was conducted, the Senate ethics officer released a report and had come to the conclusion that he did indeed use his office to help facilitate a relationship with a teen who was underage at the time. And uh, Don Meredith did acknowledge having a sexual relationship with a young person, although he did say that nothing uh, particularly egregious took place until after she was of age. But all the same, the Senate ethics officer had recommended that he be expelled from the Senate over this relationship. And before that could happen, Don Meredith actually resigned. Uh, odds are that the senators were going to act on that advice and vote to expel him. But he took that step and, and announced his resignation in 2017. That wasn't it, though. There was more about Don Meredith that came out. There was a separate ethics committee investigation that was released in 2019. And that related more to goings on in his office mm. and his staffers. And uh, there were a number of allegations there around bullying and whatnot. But yet again, there were some allegations of sexual misconduct in that context that he might have touched or propositioned some of those former staff members. Um, up until Saturday, though, there had never been any criminal charges laid. These were all ethics committee findings and Senate reports and investigations that handled largely internally. Uh, so this is the first time that we're seeing any kind of action on the police front with, with regards to John Meredith. So let's come back to these current criminal charges. I know it's mm-hmm. obviously a bit difficult to understand what the timeline might be and how it proceeds from here. But is there any sense of what this timeline may look like, either with investigation, the charges now coming forward or court dates? Very, very little. No, uh, we know he was released on promise to appear in court, but we did not have a court date. I was unsuccessful in finding a court date on the dockets yesterday. I was looking around to see if we could find some of those. 
Um, but no, we don't have any word on that front. The investigation we do know is still open on the police side. There was a line in the release saying that there there may be additional victims and anyone with information is encouraged to come forward, which is often language used when an investigation is still open and active. Mm. Uh, but in terms of timelines or, or specific allegations, it's going to be a while. These things never move that quickly anyway, especially even when you don't have a high profile person in the mix. Uh, we're going to be into bail hearings and some court procedures and whatnot. But if he does, in fact, wind up taking this to trial, we're not going to see that for a year and a half or so at least, I would think. Well, Michelle, a timeline that we are clear on is that Jason Kenney's time as Alberta Premier is coming to a close. The era has not been a long one, but it's been notable. So It as certainly we, has. <laughs> as we move towards Thursday, what are some of the reflections people are having as the Premier enters his last few days in office? Well, I, I, I can't. I would be remiss if I talked about Jason Kenney without plugging a, a story from my colleague Dean Bennett out in Calgary, who wrote a very colorful, fun read and a great account of the Kenney era, which has been tumultuous to say the least. He, he, some of you might remember him from his time in federal politics, uh, which was a lot less. Uh, dramatic, perhaps, than his tenure at the head of the United Conservative Party when he really, really positioned himself as a great uniter. He was seen widely as the person who could uh, return Alberta to some prosperity, uh, who could unite the conservative movement, which had had some splintering oh, in yeah. the years prior to deep, the UCP. Deep being fractures. Formed. Yeah, deep yeah, fractures hugely. between the Wild Rose and the Conservative Party in the province. And you got it, and we're seeing some of those fractures reemerge now in light of all of this. But anyway, um, he was really seen as the guy who could put an end to that. And in fact, when he when he did first win an election and defeated the NDP, uh, it was a very convincing win. He he was swept in on a wave of real popularity and optimism. Uh, the oil and gas sector was delighted because he was a very, very staunch ally. And that ultimately became a bit of a liability because there was a perception that there was a singular focus on this industry at the expense of others. Uh, his his rhetoric and his politics started to get very divisive. There was a real sort of us versus them mentality and, and, and spirit behind a lot of his remarks. And oil and gas was, was inextricably linked with a lot of this. Uh, he, he would go so far at points as to say that if you didn't support the industry, you were, you were anti-Alberta. Um, it, it got pretty heated. And this was all before COVID-19 hit. And that really, really took things to another level because his government uh, Position things as a choice between lives and livelihoods. That's sort of the simple way to boil down the, the, the sort of existential struggle that was taking place within that government. Several times, uh, the, the early wave, things went pretty smoothly in Alberta in terms of COVID, but in subsequent waves, uh, there were always late actions to, to implement lockdown measures that you might recall. There's a very vocal base in Alberta who was opposed to any kind of measures at all versus some who felt that the government always waited far too long. And at one point, uh, those appears those concerns appeared to be proven right when the hospital system neared collapse. The army had to be called in. You might remember it was last fall or so. Mm -hmm. Things were very, mm -hmm. very dire in Alberta in terms of COVID and hospital capacity. Um, this had happened after Jason Kenney had declared that the province was open for good and rolled back restrictions far, far earlier than other countries. That was seen as one of the uh, many gaffes that was, were, were committed. It, it would honestly take too long to list all of the high-profile incidents that uh, wound up garnering headlines and, and garnering a lot of criticism from within the party. By early this year, though, it was pretty well open warfare. And you might remember that when his leadership was reviewed, he did gain enough support from within the party technically to hang on to his job, just a little bit over 50%. 
but that was hardly a ringing endorsement, and mm-hmm. he decided to step down. There's no doubt that he was a uniter in the party at a time when they needed to be united if they wanted to win a provincial election, because that was a huge, the vote splitting, which we're going to see in Quebec later today, was a huge thing that put the (laughs) NDP in power in the first place. The fact is, COVID-19, it was just a political grenade, especially for a lot of conservative leaders. Uh, Aaron O'Toole definitely took the brunt of that. Uh, the, the amount of support that Maxime Bernier got at a, during a federal election mm-hmm. showed that that's a grenade inside the conservative movement, that there are people who, whether rightly or wrongly, believe that freedom is the ultimate tenet. Because we can say we want to, but Jason Kenney's oil and gas policy, the fact is everybody inside the UCP is very happy to have a pro-oil and gas guy in that in that spot that that's just that's that's the rank and file of the party that's that's, that's fine. fair that criticism comes from outside of the party yes yeah, so that's freedom right is at the root of the struggle right now inside that movement it is it just is whether rightly or wrongly that's the struggle and he was seen as too moderate on that front in the sense that he was not all for complete and total freedom you're right. And, and of course, it's interesting you mentioned Quebec because we are going to see that in Quebec today in, in terms of the, the Quebec conservative leader is has gained remarkable amounts of ground, at least in polling so far. We'll see if that translates to a seat. Uh, but by protesting against a lot of what Francois Legault instituted by way of COVID-19 measures, which were considerably harsher than anything Jason Kenney ever mm-hmm. implemented. There was no curfew in Alberta, for instance, the way there was in Quebec for five or six months there. Um, if you move this whole conversation over to Alberta, where uh, further right politics and the uh, f- freedom first movement, for lack of a better term, to stick with your uh, phrasing there, Dave, which, which yeah. I like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, move that whole conversation to Alberta, where that faction is much, much more vocal, more robust, and, and larger, just by, by from you know by virtue of demographics, and it gets really, really heated. So you're absolutely right. That was kind of the, the the nail in the coffin for Jason Kenney as leader of the UCP. Um, but it would, be, it would be unfair, though, I think, to say that that was the only thing. Oh, um, certainly, yeah, certainly. Yeah, there, there were lots of other issues. I mean, if we're talking about the oil and gas, and you're absolutely right to say that everyone within the party would probably be a pro-supporter of that. Uh, not everyone necessarily, though, would set up a specific war room to tackle this and pick fights <laughs> with a cartoon <laughs> creature, right? That's, like, that's it, definitely fair. Yeah, that's definitely there's fair. There's all kinds of anecdotes that it was a very, very colorful term in office. And again, Dean Bennett's story lays, a lot, lays out a lot of this stuff in very engaging detail. <laughs> so I would yeah. encourage you to take a look. Read it, but, last, read it last night. It was a great piece of writing, a really impeccable piece of writing. Yeah, no, Dean's, uh, this is where Dean lives for these kinds of <laughs> <laughs> lively, colorful sum-ups like this. But uh, it all comes to an end on Thursday. We shall see. Yeah, leadership announcements on Thursday. We'll find out who the new leader of the UCP is and who the new premier of Alberta is. But uh, I don't think we're going to tackle that on the news panel. I think we're going to do a very special deep dive on employment this week as part of National Disability Employment Month. <laughs> Teaser alert. Teaser alert. That's that's the little front cell, a four a four day front cell. That's how that's how pro we are right now with Dave Brown. That's right. <laughs> hey Michelle, <laughs> have a great couple days. We'll talk to you on Friday. You too, Dave. Take care. That's Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI TV. 
Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.